Hey guys, it's Elaine, host of Raising Deaf Kids, where we get weekly encouragement, education, and feel empowered to raise our deaf kids as hearing parents together. So grab your coffee and let's get started. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show and a merry early Christmas. I know we are putting this show out about seven days, six days before Christmas, and I hope everyone is preparing and getting ready for a big day in the next seven days. Today on the podcast, we have such a special guest. We are talking to Victoria, who goes by the name of Jersey Tour on her Instagram account, and Victoria was so great to come and talk to us today and share about her experience with sudden hearing loss in her 20s and the development of tinnitus. And she talks to us a lot about what it was like losing her hearing for the first time unexpectedly and what tinnitus is and what it is like living daily with tinnitus. Tori is also a pediatric ICU nurse. And so we also talk about how to advocate for your child when they are in the hospital. And Tori gives parents some really great actionable tips for better advocating with the medical staff if you have a child with hearing loss who is in the hospital. I know that you are going to love Victoria and love this conversation as much as I do. And without further ado, let's get into the convo. All right, welcome to the Raising Deaf Kids podcast, and today we have Victoria. Hi, welcome to the podcast. Hi, so nice to meet you and everyone that's listening. Yeah, nice to meet you too. Thank you so much for coming on. So Victoria is a pediatric nurse, which we'll get into, and I know a lot of parents, you know, have been wondering about like advocating for their kids in the medical setting, and that's just such like a hard thing. For parents to do because parents don't don't know medical study. I mean, you know, I mean, unless you do, you don't. Unless you're a doctor or a nurse yourself, um, you know, you don't know necessarily what to do or what to ask for. So I thank you so much for coming on, and maybe we can help parents out just figure out how to navigate a medical setting, which is a really big deal, you know, for them and for their kids. But I would actually love to get started because you have kind of like a hearing loss journey yourself. So I would love to just hear a little bit kind of about, you know, how you're connected with hearing loss and what your journey has been like. Yeah. I mean, mine was unexpected. I was just living a normal life. I was born with full hearing in both of my ears. I don't have any past medical history and When I was, this was 2019, it was year one into nursing. I was rotating between days and night shifts. So as much as I say, I was like a healthy person. I was not living a very healthy lifestyle at that time. My sleep, my eating was just all over the place. So I'm sure I wasn't in the best state of health to begin with. Um, It's hard when you're rotating like that. So you were rotating, like sometimes you were doing night, sometimes you were doing day. It was tough. Yeah. Yep. That's really hard. My husband has done that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I would beg to work everyone's weekend just so I could get off night shift. So I worked a lot of weekends that year. But again, I don't know if that played a factor in anything, but I went for a walk like one afternoon back in September, 2019 with my sister, like, right before a shift, we took our two dogs, came back inside and my ear just felt like really clogged. And I tried, I think I'm not much, I don't like pop, like 
pop my ears like that. Like when you get off a plane, when you squeeze your nose and, and go like poof. So I wasn't trying that, but I tried like literally everything else. I was like, why is my mm-hmm. fog? Like, I'm not understanding. I don't know if I was coming down with a like cold, but nothing was working. So I went in that night and it was probably the worst shift in my career. I was in the NICU. I was taking care of a little baby and his scream just was like no other. I've never felt something like this my entire life I got nauseous uh, the room was spinning mm. I was spinning I had to go to the bathroom I like sat down I closed my eyes but that just made it worse I had no idea what was going on and then called the ENT the next day once I woke up from my tiny little nap because I didn't sleep well after a night shift I thought it was like a headache so my headache was kind of gone but now I had this ringing in my ear so I called the doctor I was like I don't kind I don't really know what's going on this is what happened And to this day, I'm like trying to remember and like, I don't remember at all, like what I said or how I communicated what was going on to this doctor, but it must have not seemed emergent because they were like, yeah, you know, we'll put you on the schedule for next week. So once they said that, I was like, okay, it can't be emergent then. Like I, I'll just go about my life. Um, But it turns out I had sudden hearing loss. And Mm. I remember him explaining in the office you know, we were just kind of bantering back and forth, you know, after I got my audiogram, I didn't see it at that point. I don't even know how to read. I mean, I know how to read them now. I understand them better. I'm not yeah. an audiologist, but I have the basic concept now that I've had a few of them. You know, but I got my audiogram. I went back. We were just chatting about you know my job and the NICU and PICU and everything we were seeing. And then he was like, have you ever heard of sudden hearing loss? And I was like, no, like, I wasn't sure if he was trying to like teach me something you know, because I'm a nurse, you know, it could be permanent. Some people just get it out of nowhere we don't really know what causes it. And I'm sitting there like, right. Like, what are you getting at? Like, (laughs) do you want to teach me something here? Like, is there something I can teach like my kids, like at work or like my colleagues, like, what are you getting at? He's like, I think that's what happened to you. And I was just Mm. bored. I was like, what, (laughs) what do you mean? I just suddenly lost my hearing. Where did it go? Is it going to come back? Like, what can we do here? The standard course of treatment is, and I'd have to do a little more research on this because I think that they're still trying to figure out what the best like practice is, but it's steroids, oral and or intratepanic, which it goes in your ear. So I tried a course of oral steroids, pardon my stomach growling, I'm starving apparently. (laughs) I tried a course of oral steroids and two rounds of inner ear injections, um, but my hearing did not come back. So Hmm. it was a rough, it was a rough year. It was a very rough year trying to get used to just accepting the diagnosis and trying to figure out how to live life with this just unexpected new deafness. So I've had a couple of audiograms. I'm actually getting one next week as well, just to follow up. I get them once a year now. I have profound hearing loss or profound deafness to high frequencies in my left ear. So far, all of them have been consistent. They haven't gotten any better or worse. So we'll see what next week shows. But that is my story. It was not expected. I'd never thought this would happen to me. I was 28 years old when it happened. I'm now 32. Mm-hmm. And my life is different. It sure is. It took a while to, to get used to it. Yeah. But I'm here now. And you know, what? I never thought I would ever be on a podcast talking about it. I was devastated. Devastated. I was embarrassed. I hated everything about it. And I never mm-hmm. thought I'd be so comfortable getting on here and talking about it and letting everyone else know, like, hey, you're going to be just fine. <laughs> yeah. And here you are in just, what, four years, three years? I'm not good at math. That's <laughs> four years. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that is amazing that you could go from that, like, sudden, you know, hearing loss diagnosis to 
you know, now, and we love that you're here to help other parents because, you know, other parents, my two kids, I, I have two kids who were born deaf from birth. So, you know, my experience was a little bit different with my kids because, you know, they were always deaf and they have cochlear implants. Um, but it wasn't like they were hearing and then they lost their hearing. We like started out life with them that way. But we do definitely have parents and I've talked to a lot of local parents whose kids, you know, had either like gradual hearing loss or sudden hearing loss when they got a little bit older. So they were born, you know, hearing. And then, you know, by the time they're age six or seven, you know, they had, you know, some type of hearing loss. And so I'm really interested in knowing a little bit more about what have you went through when you first got that diagnosis and some of the feelings that you felt, because I have a feeling our kids probably feel that way too, especially if they're going through hearing loss a little bit later, you know, but if they're six, seven years old, they, you know, may not be able to exactly like name their feelings, you know, they, they probably, they can't tell us maybe exactly what they're feeling when, you know, they go from hearing to not hearing, you know, so I would love to, give a little insight to our parents into what their kids might be feeling with, you know, a later hearing loss diagnosis. So what were, you got your hearing loss diagnosis. It came seemingly like out of the blue one day, like you were hearing one day and then all of a sudden you didn't have hearing loss anymore, um, which feels like that could be pretty jarring for your life. I was in um, denial. I was yeah. in denial at first. I was like, there's just no way. Like he, this doctor has to be wrong. But he, like, he's mm-hmm. got to be wrong. So I went to two other doctors and yeah. I brought my audiogram. I, I paid it out of pocket for another one. My insurance didn't cover. I didn't even know what an audiogram was. I was like, I have no idea what insurance covers, but I don't mm-hmm. even care. I'm getting another one because I think they messed up <laughs> because there's yeah. just no way I could lose my hearing. I was in complete denial for probably the first like three to four weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, I was scrambling the internet, scrambling between different doctors, begging, pretty much just hoping someone gave me some better answer, <laughs> which did not happen. And then once I realized it took me, it took me a while to accept it. Probably a good, like six plus months. I would say by like the six month mark, I was like, all right, this, this isn't going anywhere, but honestly it took, and this is this is probably a conversation for another time between you and I as well. It was easier to accept the hearing loss. It took, I was, mm-hmm. I wouldn't say easier to accept. I was quicker to accept that than the tinnitus that came with it. That, okay. took, longer. that took me a good like year or so. That was a lot mm-hmm. harder. I'm getting used to this like constant chronic ringing. The hearing loss, I would say by like the six month marks, I tried two hearing aids as well. And I just, I didn't have success with them. I'm sure they weren't programmed correctly either. I'm I'm confident that that was one of the reasons that they didn't work very well for me. I'm talking to an audiologist about one possibly this year, but right now I'm comfortable not wearing any. But yeah, denial for sure was the initial feeling. After that, yeah. I just went through this like intense grief. I was like, how? Like, I you mean how am I supposed to live like this for the rest of my life? Like. How does it just go? That can just be taken away. Like one of your senses, one that I was like born with that I've had can Mm -hmm. just be taken, like stripped away from me and gone forever. And it was, yeah, it was like a, it was grief, grief. And then Mm -hmm. 
you know, obviously, you know, you come to terms with it. I mean, I'm in a complete, completely different, like better state of mind now. Sure. I mean, I have some bad days with it. I'm not gonna lie. I'm not perfect. I have some really, really rough days with it. I'm yeah, you just go through a grieving process. It's something you never thought you would grieve either. Like we yeah. here. Yeah, no, yeah, two things that I was just thinking about, you know, as you were sharing your story is number one, you know, hearing aids are definitely not always a fix for everyone. And you're not the first person, the first like adult that I've heard that says like, I tried hearing aids, I didn't like it because it, it the hearing aids make the sound louder. Mm-hmm. Um, so if it's like bothering to your ears or maybe with the tinnitus, tinnitus, which way? So in the <laughs> professionally, it's, it's tinnitus. tinnitus. <laughs> I'm a tomato, tomato, whatever. As long as you know what okay. it is, I don't really care what you say. <laughs> yeah. Well, and when you have the ringing, I I can just maybe imagine that making sounds louder would actually like, you know, make that harder to deal with because maybe it would make everything louder. But yeah, so you are not. So to highlight for, you know, parents, you know, and other people who may be listening you know, an aid, you know, is definitely worth trying out, but don't be like upset or discouraged if it ends up not being the fix or the help that you hoped it to be, because sometimes it isn't, sometimes it isn't, you know, I've met, you know, kids, adults, either way that wear hearing aids that don't, I met a lot of adults that wear hearing aids, but like to take them out for breaks every now and then. So there's just like a whole spectrum of that. So that doesn't completely surprise me that you didn't love them because I've heard that you know, before. And the second thing I was thinking about is through like all the episodes that I have done so far. And I think it was every single episode, the theme of like grief and acceptance has come up at the, you know, about like learning about hearing loss for the first time, either grief and acceptance when you find out that your kids have hearing loss, or even like yourself, you're saying there's a lot of like grief and having to go through a grieving process and then an acceptance process for your hearing loss. And, you know, so I just wanted to say that's something that we talk a lot about on this podcast, because that's a completely normal stage. And I think a lot of parents are afraid to go through that stage. And a lot of people are because they think like, if I'm upset that my kids have hearing loss, then I'm you know, not being a good parent, or I'm not like fully accepting my child, you know, there's a lot of like, mindset that goes along with that. And, you know, you just helped highlight for our parents again, that that is a normal, and I would say necessary stage to go through to be able to then get to the other side and be able to like help yourself better or help your kids better. You have to go through like that process first. And then I feel like on the other side, your capacity to just help and understand and learn just because becomes so much greater, you know, when you go through that grieving process first. So thank you for sharing that because I know that's something that parents definitely feel. And I would be curious to know, maybe from your perspective, if you had other people, you know, parents, friends, whoever, who tried to like help you, support you, because I'm thinking about, okay, you know, as a parent, if I have a child who's going through hearing loss a little bit later in life, they're probably experiencing the same thing that you were experiencing it, you know, changes your life. You know, you have a grieving period or an acceptance period because you were hearing and then you weren't, and it can just be taken away. And like that realization, which, which is a big deal. 
thinking like how can we support our kids or someone else who has like a hearing loss or like a gradual hearing loss like later in life what what would be some things that you would tell parents to you know tell their kids or help like support their kids oh my gosh that is a heavy question that's a really heavy question I mean because I mine was at 28 feel free to answer as you like feel and things are coming up (laughs) let me talk about the last three days at work first maybe that'll help me come up with a better answer so you know I knew this I knew this podcast coming up and I was talking to a couple of colleagues at work and um, I was talking to our child life specialist specifically. She works in our child development department and her job is kind of not, well, for lack of better words, like make the hospital experience suck a little bit less for these kids while they're there because no one wants to be in the hospital. Adults don't want to be in a mm-hmm. hospital so I can't imagine how these kids feel. So her job is kind of step in and explain things in like a developmentally appropriate way. So I went right to her and I was like, Hey Megan, I have a question. Have we ever worked with kids with hearing loss? Like have you in your career? And she was like, honestly, no. And I've been doing this for like eight years. I was like, I'm not going to lie. I've never taken care of a deaf patient. I wouldn't Mm -hmm. even know what to do. So the first thing I did, I was going through just, you know, if you and your kids were to come to the hospital, the first thing we do is an admission assessment. I was like, let me hop in and just take a look at this real quick. And that's where I saw there's a preferred language and sign language is on there. And I was like, perfect. I'm glad mm-hmm. that's there. And I was like, even though that's a preferred language though, what, what do we do? Like, what if, I mean, the parents have to advocate for the kids anyway, but I went right to our little interpreter phone. I was like, let me see if American sign language is on here. And it is, but they're not as available mm-hmm. as a voice interpreter for another language. Like they have to be on video and these video interpreters yeah. are all available. And I was like, you're really heavily relying on these parents to Mm -hmm. explain things to the kids that the parent is also having a hard time with. It's like, your kid's sick. You're in the hospital Mm -hmm. because your kid's sick. And now I'm sorry, I don't know how to communicate with your kid. And the only way we can communicate by video interpreter is not available. So I'm sorry, your kid's sick, but I also need you to step in and explain to them what's going on Mm -hmm. in a way that I would normally, if with like a hearing, you know, I don't know how, I think your kids were like three, six, fish maybe how old are your kids my kids are seven and five seven and five it's like a seven-year-old mm-hmm. we you know a hearing seven-year-old would you know we would say things in this developmentally appropriate way just using words trying to yeah. walk him through it differently than you than I would be able to using sign or mm-hmm. you know and I struggled with that for the last three days I was like I don't know how I'm going to tell her this. I was like, mm-hmm. I have no idea. I'm so I'm like, I'm just going to be honest with her. I was like, it, it's the hospital settings are just not designed mm-hmm. to like help these kids thrive while they're sick. And it like really yeah. made me sad. I was like, this stinks because mm-hmm. you know, I communicate with young kids in a way of, you know, explaining why we have to put, you know, these oxygen devices on or like the IV yeah. or the medicines and yeah, uh, we distract them in certain ways where it's like, I would really struggle. Like we are not equipped for that. Like mm-hmm. how, how is this not accessible? And I totally didn't even answer your question. I just kind of like was <laughs> thinking of the last three days of work, but I really, you know, I looked at that the other day and I was like, I, I can't believe that like, there's, there's just nothing ready for when these kids come in. All we mm-hmm. have is this interpreter phone and we have to hope that someone that means is available because what if you were to go to work what if the parent had to leave and then we have no way of communicating 
which ha- happens often. They're already well, you feeling- have other kids at home, you know, that you can't leave all day. Yeah. So I, I don't have an answer for the hospital setting, unfortunately. All I can say is that we... We need to do better. <laughs> it definitely is not talked about enough either. When you get the signs in the hospital that say, you know, if you're hearing impaired or deaf, you know, these resources are available. It's different for kids. Mm-hmm. It's different. And I think it's the only thing I can say right now to the parents is that if your kid gets sick and they really heavily rely on sign or they are hearing impaired and don't wear hearing aids or cochlear impa- implants, really depend on you to communicate for them. You know, we're we're really heavily relying on you in the hospital. And I'm sorry we're putting you in that position. And we just, you know, there needs to just be maybe more awareness. I don't know if awareness is even the word. I'm not really sure. Mm-hmm. I'm not really sure what we can do in hospitals. I think, you know, opening jobs for more live interpreters to be there too. I don't know. Yeah. It's, a, it's a tricky, it's a tricky situation to be in, you know, because then the kids are like, you know, the stranger's coming in and signing for me. Where's my mom? So it's just a mm-hmm. lot of pressure on the parents, I think, you know, it's a lot of pressure to be like, we need you to say because we need you to communicate with your kid. Yeah. Us. It's, you know, I'm just being honest with that. Mm-hmm. It's, a tough, it's a tough thing to, to ask for a parent to kind of stop their life so they can just communicate for us. Because um, normally sure. I'm say, hey, you know, just go home, live your life. You know, we'll, we'll take care of your kid because I, I can talk to them. I can communicate mm-hmm. with them and they can understand me, but it would be... I wouldn't be able to. Mm-hmm. It makes me sad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, and I think what you're saying is actually really validating for parents to know that it is a hard situation because parents, are, we always think it's like just us. You, you know what I mean? It, we always think it's just us that has like the hard situation or, you know, we're the ones like everyone else is having it easier for some reason. So, you know, parents always think we're on an island. And like part of what I love to do in this podcast is showing other parents that everyone feels the same way. <laughs> so you, you've got like a whole world of parents who feel the same way. I think that's really validating for parents to know that this is hard. They're not crazy. They're not like uneducated. There aren't other people who know more about this than them. Like it, it is hard and it is a hard situation. And so I'm interested to know just for our parents. So when you are in nursing school, and I mean, I could probably answer this because my husband went to nursing school too. They, I'm interested to know that in nursing school, they still haven't updated for any training or awareness for deaf and hard of hearing people, even for like deaf and hard of hearing adults. You know what I mean? Because that's, I feel like at least maybe I'm on like the social media world. There's a lot more awareness now and like getting to be more awareness about like deaf people, hard of hearing people. So I'm interested that, you know, nursing schools, medical schools have not yet provided some type of like extra training for like, how do you give language? Because the big thing is language access, right? They're a normal person. Otherwise, it's just how are you going to communicate with them? that they haven't give doctors and nurses more awareness training on like language access for deaf and hard of hearing people. You know what I mean? I don't think I learned that at all in nursing school. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It was, was, gosh, that was six years ago now, six years Mm -hmm. ago. So, I mean, who knows what has changed? Yeah. It's not, it's not really talked about. It's not really talked about. Even as a practicing nurse, I, 
you know, we get so just, we just don't think about it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's yeah. why this is such a great thing. What you're doing is you're, you know, you're creating this podcast just to talk about it. I think we just need to talk about it. Yeah. More. Yeah. I, I think that'd be a great thing to in include in schools. I think it wouldn't be something that they would think of on their own though. I gotta be honest with you. I don't think mm -hmm. that would be just something that someone comes along and says, Hey, let's include this in the curriculum. I do yeah. remember, I think, I think it was one of our like community classes in nursing school. And again, this is, this is going back couple years so I'm trying to just pull from memory here but it was we were working with language barriers and trying to just kind of like emulate like a difficult communicating situation yeah it was, it was with a different language and like oh we would just grab the interpreter phone which if you gave me that scenario now and you said well you have a deaf child my initial response now that I have experience would say well I would just grab the interpreter phone mm -hmm. um you know and see if some from ASL is on there. I don't know. I mean, just from the other day grabbing it, you know, an ASL interpreter was not available at mm -hmm. that time because they do have to be yeah. on video. I didn't, one, I didn't look to see if there was access in the hospital I'm at right now, live ASL interpreter, if like the mom or dad had to step out and I needed to just say, even just ask something simple to the child, like, yeah, you want to watch TV? What is your favorite show to watch? What color sticker do you want for your IV? Like something as simple as that. I don't know. I'm sure that I'm sure they do. If I had to take a guess, I'm sure the hospital has access to a live mm. ASL interpreter. But yeah, I think that should be taught in nursing school. Just exposing, you know, we talk about, you know, challenging situations when you don't speak the same language or you're not raised in the same community or you don't have right. the same kind of resources. You know, I've worked at small community hospitals where I'm at right now I've worked at very large hospitals in big cities yeah and people come from different backgrounds but mm -hmm. the deaf community has never been brought up through nursing school or my entire nursing career I've never had I've never taken care of deaf patient but yes I do I do think it's something that could start in nursing schools for sure just to at least mm -hmm. expose people like hey they're just normal people they just you need to communicate with them you need to find better ways to communicate with them, you know, yeah. in their preferred language. Like that's something we as nurses, that's the first thing we see. We see the person's name on their chart. Mm -hmm. when we see their name and then we see preferred language. So we know exactly yeah. how we're going to communicate with them. And we need to just be reminded that like, Hey, sign language or like their person is hearing impaired. And like, this is their preferred language. This is what they need from you. Yeah. This is how you're, you're going to provide care for them. So yeah, yeah. I think it's important in nursing school, but again, and I can't emphasize this enough. It's not, I don't, I don't think it's going to just come up in a curriculum yeah. by someone in, in, you know, in the school right now, it's going to come from someone like you. It really yeah. has to come from someone like you saying like, Hey, I have two kids. And, and I think this should be talked about. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think that is actually something that has been coming up recently. So parent parents may start hopefully asking, like even when they go to the pediatrician and stuff, start asking for ASL interpreters for their kids. So maybe as more parents ask for it and the need becomes more apparent, they'll start hiring more people because it sounds like maybe the main issue is that there just are not enough ASL interpreters in the medical system, you know, so you have like one maybe. And so if the one is tied up, 
then like you have to wait, you know, but what if there's like an emergency situation? And I mean, also my husband has, uh, who's a nurse practitioner now, and then he'll have like a Spanish speaking patient. And he has also run into this with like finding an interpreter for his Spanish speaking patient so that he could communicate. So there's definitely language access in general for other languages as well seems to be like a, a problem. Um, not like not having enough interpreters for any language to like really you, like help the people um, and communicate between the medical providers and the patient seems to like overall be an issue. Um, but on this podcast, we're talking about ASL, but I know just speaking from the parent community, I definitely notice a lot more parents talking about how they have been requesting um, an ASL interpreter for their kids, even if they're just going to like a regular pediatric appointment. And even if they're, you know, they can interpret for their kids, they are doing it because A, their kids like deserve that access and B, as a way to start teaching their kids about how to advocate for themselves and, you know, kind of so that their kids can like mimic and have an example of like, you have a right to this level of communication access and you need to ask for it and you need to wait for an interpreter instead of just asking someone to do it for you. And, and, and that's what a lot of parents have told the medical providers is yes, I can do it, but like not really because, you know, when you are an interpreter, ASL or otherwise for a medical system, you're trained in the medical vocabulary. And regular parents and regular people don't know the vocabulary. <laughs> you know, they put, I mean, a lot of medic, you know, regular people who are not like medical professionals don't know the vocabulary in like their own language, right? I mean, you know, they, they don't know the same wor medical words that you do as a nurse and that other people are telling them. And so how are you going to interpret that to your kid <laughs> or interpret that to, you know, your spouse who's deaf or hard of hearing if you don't even like know the words to say it? And then that's really dangerous in the medical setting. So I feel like that's a place you really need to be clear on like what's happening to you, what your treatment is, because this is your health, <laughs> you know, your body, your health. And that's really important. It, anywhere else, it's important in the medical system, you know, to have that communication and language access. Um, but that may start changing as more parents are starting to ask for ASL interpreters for their kids as a way to show an example of advocacy and what they deserve to have. And so hopefully as more parents start asking, they'll start hiring more people. Um, you know, I feel like something that I noticed in the conference that I went to in the past and just, I got a chance to interact a lot with a lot of deaf adults there which I really appreciated because that was actually the first time that I have actually ever interacted with a deaf adult. So any other deaf person other than my children. And one thing I noticed was a lot of people in the deaf community are like hesitant to ask for what they need. And there's kind of a sense of, I want to just like blend in and feel like everyone else. And, you know, a lot of people are hesitant to like speak up for themselves it's like they don't want to like rock the boat or make extra work for someone and they will just try to like fit in and you know like accommodate themselves or you know like try to communicate you know in another way with someone and it shouldn't be like that so I want to encourage any parents who are listening start asking for an ASL interpreter and wait 
it might take a little bit longer, but just be the one that's willing to wait and say, we'll wait here <laughs> for 30 minutes and just kind of, I think it's going to take parents and, you know, other people are deaf and hard of hearing just to insist on an interpreter and just saying, I'll wait till you find one. And then I think the more that we do it, because the system needs to see a need, right? They, they don't want to pay the money. It's about the money. They don't want to pay the money for the interpreters that, that can go to something else unless there's actually like a need for it. So oh, I think yeah. we need to show, show them the need. I, I mean, I Start agree. Asking and, for and if, if you heard anything from what I said, you know, for whoever's listening right now, you know, I've been, I've been a nurse for five years and I've never had someone say their preferred language was sign language. So it's just unfamiliar to me. Yeah. You know, and it's not, it's not a fall. It's just, I've just never been exposed mm-hmm. to it. And you know, the, the ASL is available at least, you know, from what I saw on the interpreter phone, but yeah, I think the more, and that's the beauty of social media and the beauty of like a podcast as well, is that you're mm-hmm. getting the word out there and it, can circle in the snap of the finger. Yeah. So I think just the more exposure and awareness and talking about it, because it's just, it's just not talked about at least. I yeah. I think so in like a, like a hospital setting mm-hmm. you deserve, like we, your preferred language is legally what, what we are required to educate you in. So if your yeah. preferred language is sign language and you want to have a live interpreter, we must provide that for you. So again, it's not, it's just nothing I've been exposed to yet. I do mm. know it is available. I hope I get to see it in action. That would be awesome to see if like, hey, I request a live interpreter and like, oh my gosh, they actually showed up. Like they are here. But yes, I do think that the more it is talked about, the more like there will be a need to make those kind of jobs available so that we can educate and provide necessary medical information to you in your preferred language and your yeah. child's preferred language. If your child, just like as if they only spoke Spanish, like I would never just start talking in English. Like what? I would never do that. So if your child wants to be talked about in a developmentally appropriate language, even it's something as simple as, do you like to watch Miss Rachel? Do you want me to go grab an iPad so you can watch Miss Rachel? Or do you want me to grab you a toy? What, What would make your hospital stay better? I would never ask a Spanish speaking child that in English. Yeah. So why would I, and I'm not right. just going to not talk to your child. Like I, we just, we can't do mm-hmm. that. We have to provide this developmentally appropriate care. That's like legally, like within right. my nursing scope, like I must do that for your child. So I would be honored if I was to ever witness that in my career. It hasn't happened yet, but it would be really cool to see. But yes, it needs to be talked about more so that those jobs can, can become available. Yeah. So that we do have access to them quicker. So you're not, you know, even if you were to say, yeah, we'll wait for one. So you're not waiting, you know, hours and hours, yeah. hours for one to show up just so you can get the medical information that you need. Yeah. Well, and I think it's important to note here, whereas like I have little kids because I also have a two-year-old. Um, so I have three kids and two of them are deaf and hard of hearing. And my little girl, um, two-year-old is regular hearing. Um, but it's important to note just so people like have an awareness you know, when you're talking about um, pediatric, that goes until age 18. So you're not only talking about like little kids and language access, you know, you're talking about middle school and high school kids whose parents may not be with them in the hospital all the time. Because when you're that age, 
you can do more stuff for yourself. You know, you can have, you know, tell people stuff. Whereas like, you know, the parents are more likely and maybe you can chime in because you've actually like worked with these patients, but parents are more likely to stick around longer in the hospital with their little kids because they're little. But, you know, when you get to middle school and high school, you know, parents may even feel a little more comfortable, you know, depending on, you know, what the child is in for, you know, going to work or something, because the child is old enough to like, ring a call bell, tell a nurse what they want, you know, it's having like 17 year old in the hospital is different from having like a seven year old in the hospital. And so even for like the older kids, like, you know, a teenager, if you know, to be able to have sign language, if that's what they use to communicate, to tell you because they are old enough, they're almost an adult. You know, they're old enough to tell you what, you know, you you know, what they want, what they're feeling like. They have a lot of communication. Um, so giving them access to be able to communicate with you is super important. So, it, you know, I wanted to make sure that people knew and we're not just talking about little kids here. We're talking about babies to 18 years old. There's a wide yeah, range of Sometimes we're ages. talking about 24 or, you know, 24, 25 mm-hmm. year olds until you're off your parents' insurance. I mean, we, oh, we, really? we shouldn't take them. We should not yeah. <laughs> because they can sign themselves <laughs> out against medical yeah. advice once they're 18. So once you do that, mm-hmm. you really shouldn't be coming to pediatrics. But yeah, once you're on, I've taken up to 25 years old in my career. Um, okay. those, those you know, sometimes they're they adults. don't live with their parents. They're adults, <laughs> yeah. but you know, they'll still come to pediatrics. But sometimes they don't even live with their parents. You know, they're sure they're an adult. Um, they're just mm-hmm. on the pediatric side. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, anywhere from newborn to to twenty five. Yeah, fun. So, what do you wish, or what do you want parents to know? It can be about language access, but it can be just in general, like when you know, their kids are coming to the pediatric ICU. What, what do you want them to know? You know, what is the process? What do you wish that they would like do more of? What do you wish that they could like tell you or provide for you as the, as the provider? Yeah. No matter what you're coming to the hospital for, the very first thing we do, well, one, we make sure your child is stable, but then we go through an admission assessment together. And if it's not the first question, it's definitely the second question is what is your preferred language and if your Mm -hmm. preferred language is sign language like that is written and it is in the very top left corner of your chart everyone is aware of what your primary language is and you know I see it every day at work I actually posted a little snippet yesterday on my Instagram of like what our charting looks like I was like hey by the way if you are deaf hard of hearing if you have implants or hearing aids or tinnitus or anything in or on your ears or any kind of impairment or deafness. Like we have a space in charting that lets everyone who access in your chart know like this is, this belongs to this patient. Like this is Mm -hmm. what's going on with them. Um, Preferred language is number one. That way, like we already know, like, okay, how are we going to continue the rest of this assessment together? (laughs) Because if Mm -hmm. we don't speak the same language, we can't even, we can't even talk about what is going on with your kid. yeah, the, the preferred language would be like number one. Number two, we, our priorities are different sometimes than parents. We are so focused on, we want to get you home. <laughs> we do. Yeah. We want to get you guys home too. You don't want to be in the hospital. We don't want you there either. We're going to take mm-hmm. care of you the best we can, but like, we want to get you home too. So anything we can do to make your hospital say smoother and yeah. get you guys quicker recovery 
is, is a priority for us. But sometimes we are so focused. We have like blinders on. We're so focused on, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, medically stabilizing your child that we just forget about how important the rest of it is. But I do want to emphasize that communication is a patient right. And we must provide that for you. Like why literally cannot communicate updates to a parent in any other language than their preferred mm-hmm. language. I simply can't. I can't try. I can't use like choppy, like, even with like, you know, Spanish or French or other speak languages. I can't use choppy. And even if they're like, yeah, I understand, you know, a little bit, I can't provide it in English. I must use a preferred language. And I think just giving a little bit of grace, and I know it's a lot to ask, it's a lot to ask, but we just don't, we just, I haven't been exposed to it. And, you know, maybe other nurses mm-hmm. and doctors have been exposed to people that are like, yes, I need sign language, or, you know, can you just bear with me? I'm hearing impaired. I have like hearing loss. I mean, for someone like me, especially, you know, I, I'm fortunate where I haven't been hospitalized, but I go to, I go to doctor's appointments. I go to them all the time. Yeah. Most of them have been for my hearing, so I don't have to remind them like, hey, I have hearing loss. Yeah. I this. They already know because that's what I'm coming for. But just, you know, it's not something I'm like proud to say right now that I that I wouldn't know what to do other than just get an, a sign language interpreter if someone needed yeah. to sign. I wouldn't be able to communicate with them other than, you know, telling the sign interpreter, you know, this is what I'm saying. And then, you know, they, mm-hmm. would, they would sign for me. But if if you, if that is what you want for your, your child if you and you are not as a parent ever to be put in a position I don't want you to ever have a nurse or doctor feel like you need to sign for us when it comes to medical information like that is not your job your job is to be the parent and I want to make that very clear um, when it comes to little things like what color sticker like I think I think that's the question that would come better from a parent anyway than a than a sign interpreter asking you know your son or daughter like hey you know this person wants to know what color stick you want. And sometimes the kid just yeah. likes to have their mom or dad around to ask them those kind of questions. Um, but yeah, we owe the deaf community more um, in a medical setting. We owe them their preferred language. It's just mm-hmm. like anyone else that needs any other kind of language communicated for them. I just don't, at least in my experience, I haven't been exposed to it yet. Yeah. It needs to be talked about more. I think it, you know, and I don't know statistics of, you know, I, maybe you do of, you know, deaf children in the U S or, you know, I'm actually curious now I'm, I'm going to probably Google it as soon as I get off this call with you. I'm just like, curious. I don't know. The, how have I not yeah. seen this yet in my career? Like how many are there? And that like, that's how they communicate. I'm, I'm not aware mm-hmm. I'm like, how am I not seen this in my five years as a nurse yet? But yeah. We owe that to you guys. And parents are never to be put in a position where you are giving medical updates, not only medical updates, signing for your kids while you're trying to also understand the medical updates, also communicating it in a developmentally appropriate way to your son or daughter. Like you are their parent. Mm-hmm. And that is where, you know, the interpreter is to come in, communicate those updates to you. And then you can choose how you communicate it to your son or daughter. And like you are parent, yeah. like never in the life to be a parent and an interpreter and the medical provider. Now it's like, no, you are there to parent. We owe you the preferred language that you told us when we first met. We owe that to you now and we're going to give it to you. And I hope I get to witness that one day. Yeah. I mean, that would be fantastic. And I know that you and I have like talked about this before just together, but I would love to like bring this up for the audience is that there seems to be like a disconnect between like parents and providers, which like there always is, you know, it's like parent 
Wait, parents think that you guys have had training, which we've already said that like you haven't, that it comes with like your, your medical training that, you know, you've had at least some type of like awareness training with all types of people, deaf and hard of hearing people. And I know that they do because I remember my husband going through this twice, once in nursing school and once in nurse practitioner school, that there is like a cultural competency training that you go through working with like maybe different ethnic groups and how they view like the medical process and how to, you know, better like help them and support them through it. And so it feels like deaf and hard of hearing would like fit really well into that kind of cult- cultural competency. So pa- parents think that you know more than you do. And then medical bri- providers, and I see this like in the s- school system as well, are telling parents, you're the advocate, you need to speak up for your kid, you need to tell us what to do. But what you don't know is that parents don't know what to do. <laughs> right? We're new to this too. So I do have the one statistic I do have is I think about 90% of deaf and hard of hearing kids are born to hearing parents which means that as parents, like our life experience is very different from what our kids' life experience are going to be, yet we're trying to raise them. And we we don't always know, we don't always know what we should ask for. A lot of parents don't even understand the medical system. It's hard in the United States. You know, so they, they don't even understand the steps or the medical language or like what's going on just as a base to begin with. You know, and a lot of parents, depending on, you know, if they're newer to hearing loss, sometimes don't really understand what like language access is for their kid. Like there's like we're still learning, too. And so providers think that we know everything and we think that, you know, everything and then nobody knows anything. (laughs) And so that's where we're having the problem. And the disconnect is we all think the other person knows more than they do. And so I think, you know, as you were talking about and telling us, it's like communication, you know, as parents, we need to get better about maybe even reminding the providers, hey, remember, like, my kids definitely hard of hearing, they need sign language, just like a verbal reminder. I know it's in the chart, but I found like verbally reminding my nurses has helped. So I did have, you know, my kids have, fortunately, other than the NICU, and their little babies been like, hospital free except for my now five-year-old and he was hospitalized with RSV and pneumonia when he was six months old it was the first year that my now seven-year-old who was like two and a half at the time was in preschool and it was a really bad RSV year and we literally got like everything because it was our first year in preschool so I had like a preschooler and a baby and we like were sick every week I was literally Googling like immune deficiency, like issues because I was like, because my kids have a syndrome that caused a hearing loss and the syndrome is very rare and there's like not a lot of information. So it's like, is this part of their syndrome? (laughs) They have like immune deficiency. (laughs) So he, you know, was little. So he was also born um, early. He was born at just 34 weeks. So he was also, you know, like a preemie baby and he was six months old at this time but you know obviously like what we know about preemie babies is it takes a little bit longer for their lungs to to develop sometimes so he was hospitalized he was in the pit for like five weeks like like the day after thanksgiving (laughs) we took him into the hospital and he got out like two days before christmas so like four or five weeks and he was in the PICU he was intubated he was sedated because he was fighting you know his intubation tube and then you know, fortunately, after like maybe two weeks, 
he got better, you know, the steroids and the antibiotics that they gave him work. And so then he was, you know, moved to a regular floor, you know, but as a parent, that was a really scary time, especially taking him in because he was like wheezing and coughing and like, wasn't breathing. So that's terrifying to go through. And, you know, so parents, when they're coming through to you, depending on if you're in the PICU or like regular floor, you know, which floor you're working on, especially if they're like more critical or not, are also like really worried about their kids. And, you know, I remember he did not have his cochlears yet. So he was still deaf. And I remember, you know, especially when he woke up out of the sedation, constantly reminding the nurses that he was deaf because before my kids got cochlear implants, they could hear nothing. And, you know, I, I was constantly, you know, as much as I was in there reminding him, them to like, make sure he can see your face, you know, make sure like you're really expressive with your facial expressions because he can't hear you and to kind of be gentle. And that was just something that I just kept reminding them because you have different nurses, you know, nurses go on and off the clock. And I just, you know, constantly like brought that up. Remember he said, remember he can't hear you. Remember, you know, if you walk into his room, he needs to like see you because he can't hear that you walked into his room. If he's crying, like, sorry, I know you have other kids, but you need to try to like get to him faster because he's crying and he can't hear that you're coming, you know? And so you need to like be a little bit more attentive. And of course, and the nurses were fantastic. They had him up at the nurse's station. They just sat, they just like let him sit at the nurse's station with them all day. Oh my God. And just like look at stuff and they just cuddled him. And it was really sweet. They, they, you know, we were in a great hospital and they were really sweet with him, but it was hard because also I had a two-year-old at home and, you know, I couldn't, I also needed to like sleep sometimes. So I was at the hospital, like as much as I could, could be me and my husband, one of us were always there, but I didn't necessarily sleep there. Um, and I also had another child who like also needed my attention a little bit. You know, we did have help with my mom and stuff, but you know, it was four or five weeks. Like I can't just like abandon my other child. So it's a hard situation for parents who have to work or who have other children that they can't just like abandon their children, you know, while this other one is sick. And so I think, you know, providers being aware that parents are going through like a really hard time and sometimes they're so worried about their child's health that advocating is like actually in the back of their mind. You know what I mean? Because they're just worried about their kids. So just a little bit of perspective from both sides. I think just like better communication on both sides, like us telling you what could help our kids. And then, you know, you telling us like helping us know maybe like what services are available or, you know, things like that, like you have done today on the podcast is really helpful because some parents don't know that like those services are available either. Right. Yeah. Touching on the frustrated part. I mean, I, I am the first to say like, are you okay (laughs) to the parent? I'm like, this, this, huh? This is not ideal for you to be in the hospital. I always tell parents like, what do you need from me? what do you need from me? Do you want to go for a walk? Do you want, what do you want me to tell you like everything that's going on? Do you want me to like, when do you want me to teach you is like, I am the first person to say like, if you were frustrated, you tell me, um, not going to lie. Some nurses and providers and doctors are better at listening to you (laughs) than, than others. I am very aware. And I think my hearing loss you know, it really helped me become a better nurse because I know how it feels to when you 
don't have enough energy to like advocate for yourself, but, or you're, you just feel like no one understands you. You're like, you don't understand you, you, how could you possibly understand? Like, I know what that feels like. Like mine, I suddenly had to become like this big advocate for something I never imagined advocating for just like you. I mean, you, you, you have your hearing, but your kids don't. And now you're like, well, how, how am I supposed to raise these kids when I wasn't, you know? So I, I get that I'm not in your shoes, Mm. but I, I get that. And I think my own hearing loss really made me a better nurse because I am the first person to say, like, if you were fresh, if you're frustrated, tell me. Like, I, I see it all over your face. Let's talk about it. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. tell me what you're frustrated with. That way we can just get on the same page with this. And I know what you need from me. And I think it's, you know, we welcome that. Or we should welcome it in a hospital setting. I'm, I am not the kind of, I don't work in outpatient settings. I think a lot of appointments for you probably are in an outpatient setting and you only go to the hospital if you're sick, right? So yeah. I don't work in those doctor's offices, but, you know, they should be the same, same way. I mean, doctors yeah. visits are annoying to go to anyway. You're likely waiting <laughs> longer than your appointment yes. time was. Um, so it's a frustrating place to be. It takes time out of your day, you know, and the appointment should go smoothly. And sometimes you just feel like, you know, your, your thoughts and concerns are being pushed away. But I want you to know that it is a okay. You tell us the nurse or doctor that I'm frustrated and I feel like you're not listening to me or I'm frustrated. And I feel like you're not communicating this very well. Like it is fine for you to say that. And we are never to give you like pushback and say like, well, you know, we have bigger things to worry about. Your kid's sick. Like sure. Your kid is sick, but we also like, like you are their caregiver, their legal guardian. Like your name Mm -hmm. is on their birth certificate. (laughs) You are their parent. Yeah. We need you to be their parent. Yeah. And in order to do that, like we, we need to have this like open welcome, respect like communication with each other. Um, Yeah. So if you're frustrated and I can only imagine um, how stressful that was when your kid was in the NICU and the PICU. I worked in both settings. I know how tiny and fragile and how like helpless it feels as a parent when there's like, I can't even do anything when they have this tube in their mouth breathing for them. Like mm-hmm. I can't, I, they're just so helpless. I feel like I can't do anything. Even just saying that to us, like, let us know. Like, I feel like I can't do anything. Like there's so much you can do. <laughs> like, yeah. And it's our job to like remind you, like there's so much that you can do. And I know it doesn't feel like that, but yeah, just letting, letting the doctors and nurses know, even just like the front desk staff to be like, I feel like crawling into a ball and crying in the corner. Like I need some help. There are resources yeah. in the hospital for you guys as parents too. You know, when you just go, if a lot of parents don't want to leave their kids bedside and I totally yep. understand that. And we love those kinds of parents. We love the parents that love on their babies because it's tough to have you know, the babies that don't have parents, it's really difficult. Mm. It's really, it's really sad. It's, you know, one of the like wrenches in my career that we we see pretty often, but we love the good parents. We love you guys so, so much. We love watching you just like love them. It is really just like a highlight of my job. Um, (laughs) But we also know that like our job will go smoother if the parent (laughs) is listened to, feels heard, feels like, yes, they are advocating with me and I'm not just having to advocate for myself and my child like we're all advocating as a team like me the parent and the nurses and the doctors and the whole team like it shouldn't be us versus you it should be like you and us versus your kid (laughs) like your kid is the one that needs our help so it should be like all of us working together but it is okay to let us know you're frustrated we probably already know it 
I would say sometimes we just forget that you have a job, you have a life outside of the hospital, you probably mm-hmm. have kids, you have dinner to cook and chores to do. And like, we just we don't think about that. We don't yeah. hyper focus on like getting your kid like healthy. So it's fine to let us know that you're frustrated and like, Hey, this is new to me, by the way, like I have my hearing, but my kid doesn't. I'm like, now I feel like I can't even help them. I'm the only person that could help them. And now I can't. So it's okay to let us know. Sometimes we need that reminder. Yeah, that's great. And I love that you can just, I think a lot of parents just, and I just said from just like talking to other people and interacting with people, a lot of people just want their like feelings validated. You know what I mean? If you just actually had someone do that to me, like one of our audiologists, I was talking to him as frustrated because my five-year-old was in preschool last year and he's in a different school this year, which is fabulous. Preschool last year was hard with his like getting the ASL. So my five-year-old does use ASL and my seven-year-old uses spoken speech. So getting the ASL that he needed and it took a lot of IEP meetings and it was frustrating. And I you know, was talking to the audiologist and our audiologist just looked at me like really kindly. It was just like, that must be really hard. And I didn't have anything else to say because I was like, it is really hard. But that, like that, I didn't even realize that that was just what I needed. Like, I just needed someone to acknowledge that this was really hard (laughs) and that I wasn't crazy and that I wasn't the only one. So, I mean, I think when, you know, parents are getting frustrated because they're scared, I think the root of that is that they're scared about their kid, right? Because their kid, you know, something went wrong if they're in the hospital, you know, and they just want their kid home and they want their kid better. You know, and the root of that is that they're scared for their kid. And this is why I tell my my husband all the time when he, you know, has like a difficult patient, you know, I just remind him, your patient is scared. Your patient is also not in control. And so they may be more difficult, but it's because they're trying to find control when they don't have any control and they're trying to control anything else that they can. So they're being picky about the food that they're eating or the blah, blah, blah. But the root of it is the lack of control and that they're scared. And so, you know, I think also, like you said, just being patient and just validating that this is really hard and opening up space for parents to connect with you and say like, yeah, this is really hard. And, you know, just asking like, do you need anything? Because, you know, I imagine when you're talking about like pediatric, you know, pediatrics working in the hospital that you are managing parents too in their emotions, as well as trying to get our kids better, which I mean, we fully appreciate you guys trying to get kids better. And I will say, and this leads me kind of into our last um, question that I have or discussion topic. You know, if, if you see like a parent that has a special needs kid or deaf and hard of hearing kid and we're frustrated, it's probably because we've dealt with medical professionals in the past that were really difficult, you know, that didn't listen to us, didn't validate our experience, didn't do what we wanted them to do with our kid. And that can be really frustrating. And medical professionals still have not learned to listen to moms because moms, we know our kids. And if a mom is telling you they have like an intuition about something, listen to that. Because moms get this like superpower when we have our kids and we just like inherently know what they need. It's kind of crazy, but we just like get these feelings and they're usually correct. But I would like to talk a little bit about, you know, if a parent has a difficult medical provider, a difficult doctor, a difficult nurse who 
just won't listen or like gaslights them, which is a thing that has happened to people that I've talked to with them and their kids. You know, they've like minimized their kids' hearing loss. They've told them that it's like fluid in the ear and it was like profound hearing loss, like it was serious hearing loss. You know, what would you say to parents or what can they ask for or what can they do if you have a medical provider that's just clashing with you? That you guys are, you know, you've tried, you've tried to communicate, you're just not on the same page. What do we do? <laughs> I mean, get a second opinion. Second opinion, yeah. elsewhere. Like, there's no, I, yeah, I mean, that's what I did. <laughs> um, yeah. So in my own hearing loss, the first provider, and he was the very first person I saw, the one that diagnosed me. He's the one, I remember him most. I mean, he broke some really terrible news to me. Yeah. And I got to him and thought he was kidding at first. And I was like, you, this, what? Like, I don't even know what that is. Like, what's sudden deafness? Like, what is mm-hmm. sudden sensory neural hearing loss? Like, what the heck is that? Mm-hmm. And he was like, yeah, I'm sorry. It's, it's. Um, Which is the same type of hearing loss my kids have. Yeah. By the um, way, it's profound oh, bilateral. So both sides, sensory neural, which I always say wrong hearing loss and that for kids with who have cochlear implants that's a pretty common like diagnosis I did not know that Mm -hmm. I did not know that wow thanks for teaching me that I I had no idea (laughs) (laughs) you get so like fixated on your own diagnosis then you you learn something like that yeah but he I saw him maybe when was it five to seven days later I went you know I went home I processed what he said but I was in my little state of denial still went back I was like all right I'm gonna get my first intratympanic steroid injection I'm gonna get my hearing mm-hmm. back you know me being this unrealistic well now I know but I I got the injection I was talking to him after I was like what if this doesn't work mm-hmm. and you know looking back at what he responded with which was I think you're being a little dramatic just go to mm-hmm. therapy because I was very upset I was like I just go to therapy my nursing career I just started my nursing career and there's nothing wrong oh, with therapy. Boy. I want to put that one out there. <laughs> no, um, it's we just the advocate way he, for therapy. It's just the way just, he said it. Um, yeah, no, 100%. Was so wrong. You know, I went into that appointment. I was very, very visibly upset. I'm pretty sure I was holding back tears. I don't think I cried in front of them, which there's also nothing wrong with that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I was, I was asking him and I was looking for advice. You know, I'm looking for not even, you don't have, even have to give me medical advice or professional advice just be nice I'm looking to you and being like I just started my nursing career by the way I'm a new nurse I work in an intensive care unit for children (laughs) I am in a very high stress environment I love my job but I'm taking care of sick kids are you telling me like am I not going to be able to like do my job like I'm terrified that I'm gonna not be able to do this much longer like what if it gets worse now I have the ringing that is like even harder to like deal with because I'm learning how to like listen over top of the ringing and it's frustrating he's like I think you're being go to therapy well and this is your career that you like just started that you went to school for Mm -hmm. and you took the time to do the studying I know what nursing school is like because I was married to my husband and as soon as we got married he went to nursing school and I went to get my master's so I went through the whole thing with him I know what it's like you know and so you like just started you just got through that and you just started your career so it's hard yeah. I mean, I switched careers too. I was in, I worked in like PR and media for five years. I switched mm-hmm. careers, you know, in my mid twenties and went through a whole new set of loans and 
mm-hmm. you know, graduated and I did not, it, nursing school was a struggle, but I did it. I graduated, I passed my boards. I start my nursing career and then boom, lose my hearing. Yeah. You know, so I was devastated. And, you mm-hmm. know, I, when he said that, I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, all you're going to tell me is that I'm being dramatic and to go to therapy. So if parents are not thinking it's a good fit, there are so many doctors out there. Go find another one. Go get a second yeah. opinion. Get a third opinion. Get a fourth opinion. Yeah. opinion. Even in an ICU setting, if you are hospitalized with your child and you're feeling like you can ask for a second opinion. There are plenty of hospitals out there. And we we can give that to you. You know, we work closely with social work and case management to see what other options are out there. And we, you know, talk mm-hmm. to the, once you say, I want a second opinion, you know, I don't know, you know, steps that they go through chronologically, yeah. but, you know, we call up doctors from other, I don't, but the attending physician mm-hmm. will call up an attending physician at the other hospital yeah. you know, and the caseworkers will work together to say like, Hey, we have this family here. We'll walk through your medical situation and say like, they would like a second opinion. If you were not feeling like you were being listened to. Because at that point, once you're feeling like you're not being listened to, I don't, it's hard to recover from. (laughs) It's hard to recover from. And I know that feeling too, as a patient myself. Mm -hmm. So go to, go to another hospital, go to another doctor, find someone new. And once you get to that place, say, Hey, this is number one reason why I came to you because I felt not listened to. I felt like I wasn't heard. I felt like I was just being dismissed. And my, like, I wasn't even able to like focus on the reason I was there anyway because I felt like I wasn't mm-hmm. um, and that's just not acceptable when it comes to like medicine or like a health yeah. like you have to feel listened to because nothing good can come out of a situation where you you feel like your hands are tied and you're not like working together anymore yeah thank you so much that is really helpful for parents to know that even if they're in the hospital, that there's a process and they can get a second opinion and you're not just stuck with like the doctors that are necessarily even in the hospital. And there's a process to like, you know, help you find another doctor if you're just not driving, which which does happen sometimes. It happens, know, just, it, does, yeah. it, it happens a lot. It happens a lot. I've seen it at all three hospitals I've worked at. Sometimes it just, you know, people come with their, their own personalities and frustrations and some people will handle it better than others but yes there you you do have options you're not just stuck with the first person that that is that you see perfect we like to hear that well thank you so much we like to usually ask our guests if they can leave parents with like one last tip or a piece of like encouragement it could be about medical it could be about hearing loss what would you tell parents as we wrap this up? And it's just one. Elaine, that's asking a lot. No, we can pick two <laughs> or three. I think my one piece of maybe medical advice first, I'll give two. One piece of medical advice, just coming from a nurse as a, as from a provider perspective. Cause I have two perspectives here. And I think that's what I talk about a lot. And I need to talk about more on my, my own page is that, you know, I have this unique perspective and so do you as a, parent but I I have my own hearing loss and you know and I I take care of other people so I have both patient and provider perspective but when it comes to your children remember that if when you are at 
appointments or when you are in the hospital, you are there to be their parent, number one. And if anyone makes you feel like you have to be more than that, you have to be their, uh, their communicator as well, you got to put your foot down. And you got to say, no, I, I really need an interpreter. That's just going to exhaust you. We would never ask that of any other parent of other languages. Please let us give that to you. And, you know, as we talked about, the more we make, you know, hospitals and healthcare in the U.S. aware that like, hey, we need ASL interpreters. I think that'll open up those jobs and people start going to school, you know, and being those ASL interpreters. So I think there just needs, you know, let us, let us give that to you. You know, you need to be their parent first. They need you. I think from a hearing loss perspective, if, you know, we talked a little bit about kids that experience hearing loss later in their life. I can't even imagine how like a, you know, a five-year-old would interpret like, you know, hearing, like gradual hearing loss. I, I'm not, I yeah. can't even put myself in their shoes. But as a teenager, I think they would feel similar things to me. Know that it's hard to explain. It's hard to explain to your parent. I mean, I was 28 when I explained it to my mom. My dad still forgets sometimes that like, I can't hear you. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. no, I really don't want to go out to that restaurant tonight because it's loud and I'm not going to be able to yeah. hear you. <laughs> um, it's a hard thing to explain. It's also a hard thing to just talk about when you're a kid, because you're probably going to be at that appointment with them when they're diagnosed. And I'm sure you're going to want them to talk to you about it. It's difficult to talk about. Mm-hmm. It really is. It's hard to just, it's a, it's a grief within that first, like, I mean, it took me a full year to be like, all right, this is my life now. I'm good. Yeah. It took me like a full year when I was much older than a child. Mm-hmm. So just give them, I don't even, I don't, I don't know. I mean, you know, your kids well, you know, your kids best, just like you said, like moms know their kids best. Like, mom and dad's like whoever is listening like they're they're just going through something that is really really difficult to explain just let them know that when they're ready to talk about it however they want to talk about it if they just want to keep to themselves for now if they want to write about it if they you know just ask them what they need from you and let them know like I know this is this is frustrating to you I know this is not what you ever thought would happen and I don't know what to say I think just letting them know, like I don't know what to say I really don't. I'm like lost for words. Like this stinks. Mm-hmm. But just know that it's a hard thing to talk about. And sometimes we don't know how to tell you, but yeah. it, it does get better. And I think that's what's so cool about social media is that there are so many people out there that are just like you and kids mm-hmm. have phones now and they're like eight. <laughs> so <laughs> there are so many spaces, so many, he- I want to emphasize healthy spaces. There's a lot of negativity online too. Yes. Um, I, I talk about that more so about tinnitus because tinnitus is a very depressing community, if I could just say that. And I try to make it a very positive thing and say like, Thank yes, you. it stinks. It is very annoying, but your life does not stop. But I think the same thing can go for hearing loss is that there can be, you know, very sad part of it online and a very depressing and just negative side. Yeah. There are so many positive people on Instagram and I don't have TikTok, but like I'm sure they're on there too, where it's like you can find people just like you. And if that's what they need, like let them let them have it. They already have a phone, right? <laughs> like yeah. our our teenagers have phones in the hospitals, but just showing them like that you're gonna be okay. Yeah. 
Yeah, I love that. And just a little bit of an add on. Yeah, if you're talking about like teenagers and stuff, there are, I don't have TikTok either. I had to stop it because it was way too distracting <laughs> for me. I was like, this is not good. This is not healthy. I just feel <laughs> so like I, I deleted it. It's so fine. much more fun. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm I'm old. Yeah, I'm not into TikTok, but young people are <laughs> today. So your teenagers probably on TikTok, definitely probably on Instagram. And, you know, they've popped up on my feed, so I know that they're there. There are a lot of, like, teenage or, like, young adult, like, 20-year-old, um, you know, kids and young adults with hearing loss, like, talking about it in a really positive way and showing people, like, yeah, I have a normal life and stuff like that. And that would be, you know, having specific accounts right now. I can maybe find some and put them in the show notes. But they they pop up on my feed because they talk about hearing loss. And, you know, that's a great, like, kind of connection yeah, for your teenager or even like preteen to have to see like other kids their age who like have hearing loss or who are deaf, like talking about it, like so positively and like how their life is like great and stuff like that. Yeah. Fill your, fill your feed with positivity. You can choose who you follow. You, you can choose, choose who you, who you don't follow. follow. You sure can. You sure can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's just such a cool thing. And that's like the best part about like and again, I still can't believe I, if you told me four years ago, like, Hey, you're, you hate social media, but you're going to start this Instagram <laughs> and you're going to start talking about how you lost your hearing and the ringing in ears. And then you're going to go talk to this mom of two kids. And you're going to have this like hour long conversation. And you're going to talk about like how, like you got your life back. Like I never, ever, ever, ever. So just know that you're going to fall in the trenches before you get out and it stinks. And I'm sorry to say that to whatever you're going through, whether you're raising a deaf child and you're frustrated or whether you just, maybe you're listening to this and you like just lost your hearing. I have no idea who's going to end up listening to this, but there are so many people in the online space because this world is big and we probably won't meet in person. (laughs) There's so (laughs) many people in the online space that are just like you and Mm -hmm. they would love to hear from you. And I've connected with so many people just sending random messages to say like, Hey, Oh my gosh, I lost my hearing too. I'm like, Oh my God, no way. And we just start talking. And it's like, so cool yeah. people like that. It's so cool. And then you just check in with each other and you're like, you're in little like pen pals. <laughs> so yeah, it's just so, it's so fun to meet people just like you. And I think that's the beauty of a healthy online relationship with mm-hmm. you know, social media is that you can meet people just like you. Yeah. No, I love that. And I am so glad that we met and connected because this has been such a fun conversation and so good for parents because parents like ask questions about this stuff all the time. So this will be so helpful and encouraging to them. So speaking of social media, where can people find you and connect with you? You know, someone was like, you should change your name so people know what you're talking about. I was like, no, I love my Instagram name. <laughs> like it is such a fun play on words. My Instagram is at Jersey tour underscore. A lot of my footage is filmed by the beach. I live in beautiful state of New Jersey where our taxes are high, but our beaches are beautiful. A lot of my footage you'll see at the beach. It has been my piece through all this. Um, but I talk a lot about my own sudden hearing loss journey. I'm trying to get more of a balance between my sudden hearing loss and tinnitus. My tinnitus content seemed to have taken off and that's what most of my messages have been about, but I'm, I'm, creating more of a balance between my sudden hearing loss and tinnitus just because there's been quite a few people just saying like oh my gosh like me too and 
So that's what you'll see on my page when you when you come visit. <laughs> Perfect. And we're definitely going to link all of that into the show notes so people can find you. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. This has been so fun, like I said, to just connect with you. You know, and I think you have been such an encouragement to parents. I know that hearing loss was not in your life process that you <laughs> that you thought about ever. You know, and it's also not what I ex you know what most of parents expected to have deaf kids. We didn't expect it either, so we get that. And I'm just so grateful that you were able to come share your story and help out our other parents too. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you. I think what you're doing is awesome. I'm super excited for you to get this started and just promote the heck out of it. I'm going to be sharing it with my followers too, because you just never know what people are going through. And I'm so, so excited for you. This is just so awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Elaine. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Hey guys, didn't you just love that chat with Victoria? She is so open about her experience and struggles with sudden hearing loss and developing tinnitus. And she also gave some great tips for parents on advocating for their children in the medical world, which I know is, you know, a huge question and a huge concern for a lot of parents. We thank Victoria so much for coming on our show today. Please get in touch with Victoria. She's on Instagram at Jersey Tour, and I will link all of her other accounts in the show notes. And with that, I hope you have a very Merry Christmas, and I'll see you next week.